Hello, and welcome to a special Dream Lab series of the Price Lab podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Clay Coleman, one of the three instructors who created the Dream Lab course Afrofuturism and Augmented Reality. Afrofuturism invites us to think about the creative ways that we can engage with and interact with the world. Afrofuturism can bring that critical awareness about what world building looks like. Black folk and people of color and folk who are often marginalized in ways that can challenge us to not replicate the worlds that we already see. I'm happy to be here with Clay Coleman, Associate Director of Instructional Design for the School of Arts and Sciences Online Learning at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm wondering, Clay, if you can tell us a little bit about what your work entails. For the online learning team, I am one of the instructional designers on the team, and that usually means getting in contact with faculty members about transitioning courses that they have in mind that they've either taught before or that they're creating from scratch into an online space. That usually involves pedagogical considerations about what it means to teach and learn online and some of the considerations surrounding like time and identity and, and community building. How it is that they can connect with tools and grapple with a digital space for students who might not necessarily be familiar with teaching and learning in digital spaces. But it also involves getting them to imagine teaching and learning differently, to, to think about it as a, a space for creativity and for play, that they can create something new and engaging and exciting both for them and for their students. Some people may think there would be a big difference between your day job doing instructional design and your other day job as a now former graduate student, recently minted PhD with dissertation research and, and writing on Afrofuturism. But there, there may actually be some ways that, that those things are in conversation. I wonder if I can get you to talk about that. There are a lot of connections that may not be apparent on the surface and a lot of connections that I didn't understand until I became an instructional designer and thinking about how it is that we create futures and build worlds for ourselves. So the, the dissertation was, was titled On Becoming and I talked about what that sense of becoming meant in relationship to Afrofuturism and imaginative embodiment and, and world building work. And to me, Afrofuturism is essential to educational spaces, particularly when we think about what those educational spaces in the physical world looks like for Black folk and people of color, and the systemic divestment that happens in those spaces oftentimes. So my research talks about what I call Afrofuturist instructional design. I talk about offering a, a framework for theorizing digital tools and spaces in ways that are informed by social justice and imaginative knowledge work and what Adrienne Marie Brown calls emergent strategies. So I connect her work so that, that community building and activism work and change agency work into technologically mediated discourse and what that looks like for change. I bend her argument for intentional adaptation towards imaginative digital interventions. And those interventions for me support pedagogical freedom for Black folk and other people of color. And that pedagogical freedom, in turn, supports democratic participation that changes those systems that are created in a lot of ways to 
forestall generative futures for black folk. For folks who may be unfamiliar with the term Afrofuturism, I wonder if you have like a quick definition or maybe just a few examples from popular culture. I was hoping that you would ask this definition question because a lot of people define it in different ways. And I think that makes total sense because it's like it's a it's a big term that people can enter into at different spaces in their life and in time and all the rest of that stuff, too. But for me, Afrofuturism, I would say it's a it's a radical black movement that situates race, gender and sexuality within discussions of technology and creative world building work. It also posits hope and hopeful futures where black folk can become central agents of social justice and imaginative change. And that could be in a lot of different realms. It doesn't only have to be in literature, it can be in film, it can be in sound, all different types of art. Um, So some examples, uh, some famous examples and recent ones, or relatively recent ones, would be like the Black Panther film, which is a cinematic representation of an Afrofuturist space that focuses on Imagine Black Nation. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. What kind of forever? The revolution will not be televised. In the realm of literature, there's, of course, Octavia Butler. I'm here with author and MacArthur Fellowship recipient Octavia Butler. Take a moment and tell us about your most recent work. My most recent published novel is uh, Parable of the Talents, and it is a continuation of the story I was telling in Parable of the Sower. So um, this is it's kind of the, um, the autobiography of a person who, well, a fictional person, who um, begins a new religion and sends us off to other worlds by way of that religion. And Samuel Delaney, who are kind of like the, the grandparents or the, the, the founding figures of Afrofuturism. In terms of music and sonic spaces and sound studies, uh, Janelle Monet is probably one of the most famous. Um, and she had her album that came out in 2019, Dirty Computer, um, that also had an accompanying what she calls a motion picture that uh, had a visual and sonic representation of the work that she did in that, in that space for her. And there are, of course, a lot of artists who might not be as popular, but also very, very important. There's Nikki Atu, who did this really cool short about being a black vampire. It's called Suicide by Sunlight. There's Nishi Shaw. There's a musician who I think is really, really, really dope, Moses Sumney. So he has these these really cool, lush vocal soundscapes. He also has these visual scapes that, that connect to it, too, that I think are really interesting. And then also in terms of a different area of sound, there's this uh, podcast that's actually based in Philly. It's called the Black Tribbles Podcast. That's really cool. And it's like all black geek culture. They talk about a lot of different types of things. But that was also a long answer to, to, the, to that question of what Afrofuturism is to me. And it might be something different to another person. That's the beauty of it, I think. So what drew you to the material you cover in the course and what made you want to teach this course? So I, I grew up as a, as a black person and who came out very, very late in life. So I'm a queer black person. And I didn't often see representations of what I saw as a reality, what I saw as a future or imaginative spaces for me. And that it made sense for this course to present those things that I saw as being representative or at least partially representative of who I was in the, the imaginative spaces that I thought were cool and that I could connect with. And that, in turn, drew to drew me to want to teach this course. I wanted to teach it because I wanted to take it, right? And 
also I was I was drawn to the idea of writing myself in. Octavia Butler talks about this and Toni Morrison talks about this. So Toni Morrison says that she had to, as a black woman, create stories that she wanted to read because they didn't exist in the world. And Octavia Butler said something similar there about writing herself into science fictional imaginative spaces where she couldn't see herself or didn't see herself and people told her that could not exist. In response to that, this course allowed us to talk about text and projects that explored what reality meant for Black folk and for queer folk, how that reality was shaped. We talked about how world building work was enacted. We talked about manifestos and how they enact world building work and power and the various mobile narratives that exist across boundaries that we can create in augmented reality and virtual reality. And we also talked about digital interventions that we can make that could allow us to make room for communicating difference and various forms of Blackness. So I do want to acknowledge that this is a course that is co-taught with two other amazing folk, Michael Burns and Bob Fletcher. Then we broke the course up into our different specialties and fields. Uh, Michael Burns took the genealogy and, and rhetorical construction of Afrofuturism, both as a theoretical framework and as like a, a thing that you can enact a practice. And Bob Fletcher talks specifically about augmented reality tools and virtual reality tools and how you create with them and the considerations that some of those platforms present. I, in, in, the, in that course space, talked about teaching and learning because I'm passionate about it, uh, but also because I think that it connects really, really well with the theoretical work and the practical work of creating augmented realities and virtual realities. And when I say teaching and learning, I don't necessarily mean just in terms of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make an augmented reality or virtual reality thing, object for my classroom. I mean, making that thing in, in a world that people can engage with in the public so that they can learn something or, or be connected with, with it and discuss it. So, you know, you taught this class last year. You're going to teach it again this year, but then we had to cancel. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, what you wanted students to get out of the course last year. And, you know, is that the same for this year? Did you add to it or subtract from, from those expectations? Yeah, it was pretty much the same from this year with some tweaks. One of them is kind of giving students an idea that they have a sense of agency in shaping that digital world. So shaping that augmented reality in, in space and that both... Um, agency and, and grappling with the theoretical implications behind that and also with the practical building aspects of it too. So being able to work in the platform and create a thing. Being able to connect AR and VR to teaching and learning in ways that they didn't necessarily expect or assume for pedagogical environments. So if they wanted to become instructors or if they wanted to do different types of teaching and learning work in different spaces, that they can connect the AR and VR to that in ways that were inclusive. To have an idea of what it meant to share their own creative knowledge work with different audiences and allow that knowledge to enable them to deconstruct the worlds that they inhabit around them in different ways and have a theoretical framework for Afrofuturism. So I talked about that with Michael Burns, kind of giving a genealogy of, of what the concept was and, and the different conversations within even Afro-pessimism and the critiques that people have had of Afrofuturism and how that connects to practical ways for them to create things with that in mind. Understanding that the visual objects aren't the only thing that can be represented in augmented and virtual reality spaces, that there are a whole host of different forms of engagement that they can get with audiences and with themselves. Gabrielle Foreman talks about this in terms of simultextuality. 
she talks about it in terms of his, history and different meaning and connections with text that will reach different audiences. But this is kind of an expansion of that where it doesn't have to necessarily just be on the page or be a visual thing. It can also be a sonic thing that can speak to different audiences or the same audience in different ways. One thing that attracts me to Afrofuturist art, whether it be literature, music, film, is that it tends to be technocritical without being technophobic. So I'm wondering what can digital humanities learn about practicing technocriticism from Afrofuturism. I feel like digital humanities is often sometimes fairly accused of being sort of techno-utopian. So I'm wondering what can we learn from Afrofuturism about walking that line? So when I think of that, I think of the idea that digital humanities, it can learn to assume that there shouldn't be, or we shouldn't assume rather, that there's a baseline affiliation with knowledge of technology or connections to technology, right? That particularly for black folks and other folks of color, Techno-criticism starts on the surface of our skin, right? Um, Ruha Benjamin talks about this. He talks about race being a type of technology, and it, cre- it can create parallel universes. And I think she says it can also cause premature death. Um, and it requires routine maintenance and upgrades, just like systems, technological systems, race, that is. Um, so for me, Afrofuturism can help us understand that technology often hides those things, right? It hides the things that sustains it and allows it to work. The codes uh, that Ruha Benjamin again talks about in the New Jim Code, algorithms, what Sophia Noble talks about in algorithms of oppression, the biases, the assumed audiences, the mechanisms of, of creation and fabulation that, that keeps us connected to and enamored with and addicted to and codependent with technology, right? So, okay, so that on the surface that may seem like a phobia, but it's not because I think Afrofuturism also gets us to think about technology as having the potential to be mutualistically symbiotic, right? I think that we have become in a symbiotic relationship with technology. In, in any type of relationship, it's important to understand where you start and the other person ends and all that other stuff. But technocriticism for me focuses on the different types of power relationships that exist and acknowledging that and allowing that symbiosis to, to help us think about ways that we can shape change and shape the future, also shape the world around us. And that connects explicitly with AR and VR, but it also can connect to digital humanities in general um, because we create this technology and feed this technology and it in turn creates and feeds us. And that's that mutualistic symbiosis. I know there's conversations that happened already around this and ongoing conversations in digital humanities about technology being objective or neutral and everything like that. And people know that that's not the case, of course, right? But it can have a way of shaping social spaces. And when we get a hold of that, and when we put that in relationship to the work that we do in teaching and learning, again, not only in the cloistered pedagogical spaces that we see as like these formal spaces, but also in the non-cloistered open um, or critically translucent spaces that we create for our uh, teaching and learning environments that can help us be better citizens of the world. Afrofuturism can make us aware of the absences and the silences and representations that happens in digital perspectives, but it can also help us think about what we create for future archives as well. From my positionality as a queer black person, I think about the types of queer voices, um, queer black voices that are not as apparent and that we don't necessarily have the same types of records as we do for other you know, heteronormative white voices and what that means for the futures that we want to create for folk. So I know this is a huge answer, right, to that question. But I think 
Part of the reason why I gave that huge answer is because I think digital humanities has such power and potential. And it could lead to a host of different ways to interact with the society and the culture and the political spaces and the ideological spaces that we want to create for a better humanity. This special Dream Lab series of the Price Lab podcast was produced by Kelsey Gibbons. We also want to thank Julie Beth Napolin and Clay Coleman for their expert advice, as well as all the Dream Lab instructors who were so generous with their time. This podcast was made possible with support from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.